and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks out middle ground in wellness or sometimes uh, talks about the history of wellness like this little mini summer series we're doing. Welcome. I'm Annika Buckle. And I'm Jenny Omani, and we've actually attempted zero middle ground whatsoever in this summer <laughs> series because we've solely looked for trash diet and wellness trends over the decades. So, um, you know, we're just not living up to our name currently. Uh, we'll get back to that in September, though. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would absolutely love and appreciate a five-star review, share, um, download, follow, do like all the things things that are fun with podcasts and show podcasters that you love them. Thank you. We also love you. <laughs> um, okay. I cannot believe it, but we are, uh, we're, we're in a new decade, my friend. We did it. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. made it to the two thousands. Um, Britney Spears era. Bless her heart. Speaking of, um, if you caught our nineties episode, speaking of women, I would just like to give a big hug, big to hug. Oh my gosh. Speaking yes. of speaking of girls who were destroyed by the media, whose innocence was stolen from them by powerful men, I would like to give her a hug also. Anyways, uh, so as always, if you have caught any of our previous previous summer series episodes, um, our usual content warning that you can't spell diet culture without diet. So mm -hmm. if you're not up for content about weight loss, eating disorder, exercise, absolutely opt out of this bad boy. It's totally fine. We love you anyway. Um, so here we are, the new millennium is here and the world did not shut down thanks to Y2K, just as a <laughs> flash to the past that that was something we definitely thought was going to happen. Um, oh God, yes. <laughs> that new year's man. Yeah. was a big, that was a big new year's. So, uh, the world didn't shut down and, um, the world also did not drop its wellness bullshit. So here we are. <laughs> it doubled down now, didn't it? It truly did. So because I am in my 40s now, this was really a pivotal decade for me in my own wellness journey. This was the decade I started doing yoga, doing cleanses, mm. working at Lululemon, teaching yoga. I mean, I, I was in my 20s and I was just steeped in it. Um, That's awesome. I was also in my 20s. Yeah. So what are the <laughs> in drinking at bars? <laughs> my Do wellness you... routine involved which uh club had their like night cheap night like, every no it wasn't a cheap night it was like there was like theme nights and just nights that were like better at certain bars than others right. and then going to oh what was the name of that chinese restaurant on granville street on the corner of davies yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i forget but it's not, yep. not there anymore but you could ask for cold tea and they would bring uh, you beer in a teapot. <laughs> it is still there. You just can't order cold tea. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> anyway, so that's um, what I was doing in my early 20s. So thank you was... for taking care of your health. <laughs> sort of. I mean, I was very, um, uh, the pendulum swung very far uh, oh, okay. in my life in these days. I, I looked after my wellness very hard and I also, mm. um, did not look after my liver very hard. So, <laughs> um, okay, were there, do you have any wellness trends? I mean, I know we talked in our, um, wild rose cleanse episode that this was kind of something floating around your world at this time, but were there any other wellness trends you kind of, you remember hopping on in these? Um, I remember doing a brief period of time with Atkins but it was like kind of going out of vogue then because mm. it was, you know, kind of the tail end of that. Um, 
And it was actually like, you'd think it'd be delicious just eating fatty foods, but it was, it really wasn't. No, Um, I feel like that's a little bit like when, you know, as a kid, you're like, I want to eat like McDonald's all the time. And then when mm -hmm. you, you know, you're in your twenties and you're like, oh, I can't eat more than one meal at McDonald's today. I Mm -hmm. I don't feel great. Which I mean, we're actually going to talk about it at length in just a minute. (laughs) Yeah, I know that was not a wellness era for me. Decade for you? Yeah. Cause I graduated from university in 2006. Mm. So like I was so from 20, 2002 to 2006, I was at university. My pause is a face that I'm making that alludes to the fact that I was not taking wellness is not my forte. Top um, no sleep. None of that was my top priority. Um, so yeah, no, I no, my pendulum didn't swing into orthorexic wellness until, <laughs> you know, the 2010 decade after. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I won't get to that next week. Years. Give me 10 years. Um, okay. So the first kind of big thing I want to talk about, um, it was kind of this cultural phenomenon, kind of like, um, the context you gave us, uh, last week, Jenny, you know, this, there was this real kind of what I'm calling like the popification of wellness, like, you know, pop psychology is like the ideology that becomes popular through the media and it kind of gets distorted in the process. We Mm -hmm. kind of see this in wellness and nutrition, especially in the early 2000s, like kind of at the surface, something seems okay or like a good idea, but it kind of gets stretched and pulled and ends up being really messy and often very far or dangerous from, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of a a kernel of a good idea. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, you know, contextually, I want to preface this by reminding us Twitter launched in 2006. Facebook became widely available outside I of just colleges in the U.S. Mean, in I the same year. I will not. X. Nope, I do not. <laughs> I do not. Um, YouTube launched in 2005. You know, a lot of kind of what drives this all of a sudden we have all of this social media connecting ideas in a way that we didn't before. And I think mm-hmm. similar to the way that we saw as you talked about last week, the 90s kind of all of a sudden television advertising changed everything. We Mm -hmm. kind of see this again as we really start to get social media connecting ideas in a way that we just simply didn't have access to when people still had dial-up internet. (laughs) And I also think that Facebook's origin story is super interesting because like you said, it was just university students. Mm -hmm. So it genuinely felt like a community, Right. right? Like it didn't feel like this like void, this like big space out there like it was like oh these are just like a bunch of my peers essentially even though totally clearly not that but like it was it it felt like that it did it Mm -hmm. genuinely did it genuinely did Mm -hmm. yeah it's crazy to think about now yeah yeah I know right um so kind of the first big one in this category uh speaking of McDonald's is the documentary supersize me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. came out Mm -hmm. in 2004 and if you Mm -hmm. don't remember or somehow managed to escape the hype at the time this was a documentary by american filmmaker morgan spurlock this was his quote experiment end quote Mm -hmm. we'll get into why i'm putting that in finger quotes in a minute where he ate nothing but mcdonald's for 30 days three meals a day and then at the end he's assessed by doctors who are all shocked at his health deterioration Mm mm-hmm I think it's important to add that the in the decade after this movie, new information came to light that really casts a lot of doubt on the validity of the conclusions that he draws. This is N of one. This isn't unsurprisingly, N of one is a big part of it. But I mean, this, you know, kind of 
debunking, much like most debunkings, never gets the same press as the initial story. No, um, because the people that do the debunking just aren't as charismatic and fun. Do you know what I mean? Like you get like he approached that. Like my memory of that when I watched it when it came out was that it was fun. Yeah, like, it, was, it was lighthearted. And if they asked if he wanted it supersized, he had, he had to, to say, say yes. yes. And then right. it was like, is he going to get it supersized? Is he going to? Are they going to? Yeah. Right. And so that was really a magnetic personality and it was really fun to consume. And the debunking is never the same. No, unfortunately, the debunking it's is usually not. boring. It's usually boring. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people that yeah. just like check facts and tell you the real facts are it means just drier content so you can never so kind of to your point a few examples of this are first of all nobody else has ever been able to replicate replicate it and get the Mm. incredible deterioration in health he had in 30 days in fact what i did find very interesting is a number of studies that tried to replicate it Mm -hmm. more often than not eating nothing but mcdonald's for a month actually caused people to lose weight not to gain it Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and I think this is very significant for when we look at his health results at the end of this, he was apparently struggling with a really severe alcoholism at this time. Well, which that'll is do it. Far more likely to be the reason for his severe liver damage. Yeah. Than the McDonald's. But it's important to call this out, right? Because at the time, this worked to really demonize fast food and by extension, a lot of convenience foods, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This was a big early aughts trend going really hard at the demonization of fast food. You know, this is Mm -hmm. something that hasn't really left us today. And look, I am not here to defend a corporation that's worth billions of dollars by any stretch of the imagination. But... I, you know, I think the issue is the where this path leads us is to demonize people and their individual actions over policy, right? I think yeah. even in the year 2000, you would be hard pressed to find somebody who thought McDonald's was healthy or eating it three times a day yeah. was a good idea. I but think we just, anytime you start dehumanizing, mm-hmm. that's a real bad path to go down. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you other and you dehumanize. It's just... Mm-hmm. That's where like really nefarious, ugly things start to transpire. Well, right. And I mean, this kind of brings us back to what we talked about in our episode around the 80s. You know, you've got this explosion of continual cutbacks and increasingly Mm -hmm. unsustainable capitalism that leaves huge swaths of people without resources, time Mm -hmm. and money first, but also access Mm -hmm. to, you know, fresh food or homemade food. And when we demonize those behaviors, to your point, Jenny, of the people who are honestly, truly, usually, mostly just trying to do their best, Mm -hmm. we're not actually making progress. Like, it's not the flex we think it is, right? So the second big one in this category is the book The Omnivore's Dilemma Hmm. by Michael Pollan. Okay. Oh, okay. So Michael Pollan wrote Food Rules. He was a very um, pop wellness author in the aughts and even into the 2010s. Um, Annika, I was drinking at a frat party. (laughs) There is no chance I was reading any of this. But it's big enough that it's still like considered a pivotal book in kind of wellness. It's a little bit Mm. like... um, you know, kind of some of that original, like the precursor to the paleo stuff that we looked at um, earlier this year. So, 
you know, I, I want to be very careful when I kind of critique the omnivores dilemma with my 2023 lens, because it was right. one of the hindsight's first... 2020. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it has some, it, its impact on, you know, starting conversation around some of these things was really significant. It's kind of one of the first like big, big quote unquote popular books to talk at length about things like factory farming and the dangers and drawbacks of our global food systems generally, which mm-hmm. I think is a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also much- think that we don't want to dehumanize an other, mm-hmm. the creator, like you're just doing the same. It's just as bad when the, you do I- it the other way around. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, I mean, yeah. this is, this is the big trend in the, in the early 2000s is like, how can we to cancel this book? Right. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, I think what we kind of also end up with is this very distilled version of like, anyone can change the world one meal at a time without oh, attention. God. To yeah, yeah. And this is just like, this is the, like recycling, right? Me yeah. personally, of course, I am user. I am still going to recycle my yogurt container, but that is not going to save the planet in the way that reducing carbon, you know, from giant mega corporations will. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Right. But it, again, it's kind of reaffirming this. You are responsible for your health, but the health of the food systems and the health of the planet. And it so pairs nicely with this, the ideas of supersize me. It just creates yeah. these further gaps, these further inequities between people. Cause now you have this subset of people who can feel morally quote unquote good about eating locally and preparing their food themselves. And then you've got everyone else. Right. Which literally has not changed at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, right. I mean, this is what I found so interesting as I was doing a lot of this reading is it's like, wow. Yeah. We, um, it's 20, I think this came out in 2004. So it's whatever, 20, however many years later and nothing's changed. What did we learn? Mm -hmm. Nothing. (laughs) Okay. Let's move on to a few of the other trends from the early 2000s. A big one was technology for tracking and doing fitness. Did you ever use a Wii Fit? Was that ever something that you experienced? I know what, I know what a Wii Fit is. (laughs) We never had one. So Dan had a Wii and we totally used to do Wii Fit in the early days Mm -hmm. of dating. It was like our our like Wednesday night thing. And then we would like use it when we hosted parties. We'd have like Wii Fit bowling. And um, I just think think that's harmful. I think that's just like a fun way to see. Look, look, we warned people that we weren't finding middle ground, but there's nothing wrong with Wii Fit. (laughs) Oh, I mean. I'm sure you could just take this in a totally different direction, but I think for like what most people used it for, no, it's totally harmless. Yeah. Now I will say it came came with a scale and you did have to weigh yourself. So that um, was a bit problematic, but there's nothing wrong with, with um, online bowling. (laughs) Um, Not at all. (laughs) Especially if you win. Only if you win. Uh, we also get wearable technology and apps, right? Smartphones are starting to be really huge kind of in the middle of the mm-hmm. decade. And so mm-hmm. things like GPS tracking, everyone's favorite original wearable device, the Fitbit, was created in 2007. So mm-hmm. this is where we kind of see this um, more is more approach to data around our health, which, you know, we've talked a little bit about before, not always true, but... <laughs> We also see an explosion of fitness classes, kind of like what we started to see in the 80s, but like times 100. Things that were dance-based fitness, right? On TV, Mm -hmm. people were watching shows like So You Think You Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So Zumba, this was a big Zumba time. Um, but this is also the era of things like P90X and body pump oh, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. CrossFit. Ever, <laughs> if you haven't listened to our CrossFit episode, oh, um, it's great. That, that'll give you some context there. Um, so as I can personally attest, this was also a time when yoga kind of exploded into mainstream group fitness activities. Um, from 2003 to 2004, uh, there was a 30% increase in people doing yoga in the United States. That's 15 million people. So that's a pretty significant so jump hot. in yeah. just the space of a year. Obviously, like there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to highlight the yoga that I did the most of in these years that I actually think was the most influential at this time also. And that's Bikram. I was just going to say I did Bikrams a couple of times and it was literally the worst experience. I, it was awful. I hated everything about it. So I had the opposite experience. I went to a Bikram class and I left feeling like I was a completely different person and I won't say that it's the reason that I broke up with my boyfriend, changed my job and moved, but it wasn't not related. Hmm. I came Um, out dehydrated, um, annoyed and with a headache. Yeah. So um, fucking hot. Yeah. Very hot. Also, um, Bikram's big thing, uh, was carpeting. So, um, carpeting in a hot yoga studio where people are like dripping rivulets of sweat like so gross not great but (laughs) and I remember you weren't supposed to drink water unless it was like certain times until they said until the teacher said right and I remember going with a friend who was like he was so horrified he's like you can't tell me when I'm allowed (laughs) to drink water (laughs) that was my experience with big rooms Yeah. So, I mean, needless to say, huge at the time. In 2006, there were uh, just over 1,600 studios in 40 countries that were Bikram certified. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say before I go any further, there are a million great documentaries around this and his rise to power, certainly more than we're going to cover in like, you know, the next 10 minutes of having a chat. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. in particular, the Netflix documentary called Bikram Yogi Guru Predator um, is really good if you're interested in learning more about this and you haven't already. They talk about his legal battles from the title to- sums it up nicely. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, legal battles in terms of suing other studios for using his quote unquote sequence, millions of dollars mm-hmm. in suits related to sexual harassment, assault, mm-hmm. racism, homophobia, just real stand up mm-hmm. guy. Um mm-hmm. But I think it's important to kind of touch on his influence on the yoga market as a larger market, which I think we can really see the impact of well into the 2000s. Um, He's one of the first kind of big, famous yoga teachers in the kind of quote unquote West who approached yoga from strictly the physical, stripping off all of the Mm. tradition, all of the cultural context. Where we saw yoga starting to get a lot of attention in the 60s and the 70s, it was still this kind of like granola yoga. Mm-hmm. You know, you're wearing cotton pants and you're meditating and you're, you know, somebody's got dreads. Bikram has this <laughs> huge Beverly Hills mansion. He's got yeah. multiple Rolls Royces, a diamond watch. He was yeah. really unlike what came before him and he wasn't afraid to hide it. Yeah. He, he also was kind of the 
first, this like pioneer of what started to become this like the cult of the male yogi guru. We see him, we see Baron Baptiste, who I was mm-hmm. did a certification training with 500, more than 500 hours of training with him. Um, mm-hmm. I was really into a number of cults over the years. Um, and John Friend, um, every single one of these powerful, influential yoga men have been exposed over the last um, 20, 15 probably years, really since the Me Too movement started as being Mm -hmm. really predatory, um, Mm -hmm. really preying on women in particular, often being very abusive on a number of different levels as well. Um, And there's a woman too, wasn't there, who died not like a few years ago? That was just in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, um, that was same Kundal- whole thing. Totally, that was Kundalini. Kundalini. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she was Different. a little bit more. Yeah. But I mean, again, it's this when we pedestalize the guru. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. So you know, on the success of what people started to see with Bikram, we see this huge explosion into kind of all types of hot yoga. Hot yoga no longer was just like a Bikram thing. You could go to your yoga studio down the street and experience mm-hmm. it. So we yeah. really start to see yoga showing up purely as exercise, right? At gyms, at yoga studios, um, you know, growing in popularity as this strictly physical practice that completely ignores the other, what are called the set. There's eight limbs of yoga. Mm -hmm. Only one of them is the physical practice. (laughs) The rest of them are, you know, it's, it's breathing techniques. It's moral disciplines, it's positive duties, it's sense withdrawal, focus, concentration, meditative, and then enlightenment, right? So you have all of these layers that just get completely stripped away. Mm-hmm. I've been practicing yoga for 10 years before I heard anyone talk about all eight limbs. And that was in a teacher mm. training program and not even my first teacher training program, my third. Mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Hey. Um, so, you know, this is a this was a really defining marker of this time. And before we wrap up, I just want to touch on um, you know, while we might not have seen the wine and eggs diet of previous decades, um, this is the <laughs> decade that brought us one million cupcake stores. Um, it brought Oh my us, gosh, yes. Do you remember like so yes. Carrie Bradshaw and Sex and the City? kicked off like the cupcake revolution so i do remember and i forgot i've completely removed that from my memory but yes yeah yeah random yeah everywhere thing to take off cupcakes okay cupcakes um also as uh you touched on last week atkins and south beach were still you know alive and kicking tangoing out there in the community this like you know push to low carb high fat um they really were very similar. And I find it really interesting that Atkins kind of became the shorthand and South Beach has kind of been like abandoned in terms of, yeah. you know, people aren't like, oh, remember the original high fat diet, the South Beach diet, you know, yeah. Um, which I also find very interesting because it seemed a little bit more balanced anyways. Also, they both included yeah. from the perspective of the wellness world's ability to monetize things. The option to purchase a wide variety of shakes, bars, even packaged yeah. meals. Mm-hmm. This is how we monetize, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were also both really focused on weight loss as the number one marker of cardiovascular health, right? Which I think yeah. continually reinforces this idea that thin at any cost is the only way to be healthy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, and sure. we also see the introduction of the Whole30. Now, it didn't really take off until the 2010s, um, mm-hmm, but I mm-hmm. think it's important as we're talking about, you know, what restriction looks like, um, that this that this was in the zeitgeist at the time. Yeah, no, that's so true. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. See, these are all like familiar things because we lived. It. Right, right. <laughs> well, and a lot of them, don't. you know, yoga is still around. People are still you know south beach just got repackaged as keto sorry atkins just got repackaged as keto (laughs) same shit i know right yeah so there you go the early aughts brought us social media um restrictive carb diets and slimy yoga gurus thanks so much for listening to we really appreciate your support and if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast it would mean the world to us